Let's pray before we start. Lord, as we um, uh, open up your word this morning, uh, I want to just pray that um, everyone listening today will hear your voice in some way. Um, there, are, there are many needs among us as individuals, as families, as, as a people, as a culture. We're just in a time of, of crisis. Many of us are. And I pray that uh, the words that are spoken this morning, the words that are heard from your word, will reach into our hearts and comfort us, encourage us, and give us the strength to be your people as we move into this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series from Deuteronomy. And you remember, just a really brief review, we're placing... Uh, this this whole book really in two historical moments. The first one is after Israel has been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. They're now on the east bank of the Jordan. They're getting prepared to go into the promised land. Moses, of course, will not go with them. And so Moses is giving them this speech, this this sermon, this reminder of what's happened and what's coming in order to encourage them and give them the the wind beneath their wings that they need to move into the land. But the book was probably at least put together, if not written to a large extent, some uh, 900 years later, around 500 B.C., as Israel, uh, the, the southern two tribes of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, who had been in exile in Babylon, were now coming back into the land. They had been allowed to leave Babylon and come back to Jerusalem Jerusalem, of course, was ruined. The temple was ruined. The walls were ruined. They needed to get ready to rebuild. And uh, so this, this, um, this book of Deuteronomy was put together in this time, came together in this form in order to give them the, the strength and the vision and the encouragement that they needed in order to move ahead with the task that they had been given. And you may remember uh, from probably uh, the first Sunday of Deuteronomy, this quote from Walter Brueggemann, which I found very helpful in thinking about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy looks back, both backward to rootage and forward to crisis, and interprets at the precise place where rootage and crisis intersect. We've seen in the first, three, the first three chapters of Deuteronomy that we talked about two weeks ago, Israel wandering through the desert, refusing to enter Canaan due to fear, so sentenced to 40 years of wandering, um, interacting with the local peoples, either making peace or making war, depending on the situation, and now ready to enter Canaan. And so they're standing at this point where Moses is looking back with them at the history that's happened, and, it's, and looking ahead to the crisis that's coming, and this is this moment of intersection, as uh, Brueggemann describes it. And then you remember two weeks ago, we also talked about this concept of the web of belonging, which I got from Diana Butler Bass's book, Grounded. And I'll put that quote up here just to remind you of it. Through the search for our ancestors, and then think, or looking back at our history, We discover that the branches of our family trees are entangled. When we make our way through the thick canopy of the past, 
we discover that lineage is anything but a line. It looks far more like a web. The great chain of being has been replaced with a web of life or a web of belonging. And this is one of the perspectives through which I want to work through Deuteronomy with you, that we're all part of this web of belonging. We all belong to each other, past, present, and future, and not just with ourselves as people, but also with our God, of course, and also with the creation in which he's placed us. And now as we move into chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, Moses' speech changes, it pivots. The historical recollections of the past give way and give place to urgent exhortation. Moses is exhorting the people in very clear and very strong terms about how to live as they move into the new land. And Julie has already expressed that actually quite clearly. The laws and commands and statutes that God is giving the people through Moses are not designed as rules or you have to get 100% on the test. They're given to us in order that we might live. So Moses is combining this look, looking back at the, at the past with looking ahead into the future. And the way I want to couch our skimming through this chapter 4 this morning, because again, it's a long chapter, and were we to go through all of it, it would just be too much, so I'm going to pick some things out of it. But I do encourage you to read it. It's a masterful piece of writing. But I'd like to ask these questions as we move into chapter 4, and it's this. What could chapter 4, what could this chapter that we're going to look at say to those of us who are going through tragedy or crisis of whatever kind that might be? What kind of personal trouble are you experiencing? Could be something relatively minor. Could be something life-changing. Could be something earth-shaking. Could be something devastating. Could be huge disappointment. An expectation that you had that hasn't come to be. Someone who's failed you. Or maybe a group who has failed you. Maybe you feel your culture, your society has failed you. Or those standing at a crossroads. I have to make choices. I need to decide whether to go this way or that way. Or, and perhaps this is also some of us, who aren't necessarily in crisis ourselves, but we're watching people, we're close to people who are in crisis. We're close to people who are, from our perspective, perhaps destroying their lives. So this moment, this moment of crisis in which we find ourselves, what does chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, as well as the whole book, have to say to us that would encourage us and help us to be able to move forward in ways that lead to life? So I'm just going to go through and pick out a few themes and, and show a lot of text uh, on the wall. The first one is from the very first verse, Deuteronomy 4.1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, 
and do them. Notice that word now, okay? This is this pivot point. Uh, Moses has been looking back at the history. He's told all what's happened in very short form. And then he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you, and do them. Why? And this again is the point that Julie just made. That you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Listen to what I'm saying to you, that you may live. That you may find yourself a part of this web of belonging. That you may live in in fellowship with those around you. That you may live in authenticity with yourself. And that you can live as part of God's creation in balance not in an exploitative way. All of this is involved in this concept of life. This is what God is giving Israel. This is the way, if you do this, you will live. And then just a little bit further in verse 6, he says, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And it, it, it struck me that these words, wisdom and understanding, appear two times in these couple little verses. Follow me, says God through Moses, because that will be your wisdom and your understanding. And if you are in crisis of any kind, if you are struggling in any way, if there's anything that's keeping you awake at night, you know that you need a good dose of wisdom and understanding. So that you don't just react to the emotion of the moment. So that you're able to put things into perspective. So that you're able to take a longer term view. It's not just about me and us today. It's about the rest of our lives. To put first things first. To put people before principles. And maybe even to live in reality. One of the things I sometimes find and struggle with myself when there's crisis is that people don't admit that there's crisis. They won't live in the reality. It takes a great amount of wisdom and understanding and steadfastness, the the feeling that you're on a firm foundation to say, yes, this is real. And it's not good. And I don't like it. And it shouldn't be. But it's here. So this focus on wisdom and understanding. And notice also this verse says, um, that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. There's all these people around watching you. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about viewing Israel and viewing the church not as a lifeboat, as an escape from 
but as a colony. And here it is right here. You're going into the world. You're forming this colony. You're living in crisis in wisdom and understanding so that all the peoples around will see it. In the sight of the nations, when they hear you, when they see you, when they watch you, they will say, this is a wise and understanding people, even in the midst of crisis. And then Moses continues, for what great nation is there, in verse 7, that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? whenever we call upon him. What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? This is like the first thing that Moses says. The foundation of everything, the foundation of all that he's going to give Israel in Deuteronomy starts with this idea that God is near. And if you know anything about the gods and the religions of the, of the ancient Near East, you know that their gods were always distant and always needed to be placated, always needed sacrifices. God comes near, and he's in that cloud. He's in that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night. And he's there with his glory in the temple, in the middle of the people, in the, in the tent of the tabernacle. And he's there, and he's going with them as they wander through the wilderness, and as they now stand at the east bank of the Jordan River to go into the promised land. There he is. And that's the foundation. And I was reminded of John 1.1, familiar passage, I'm sure, to all of you. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God Himself, the Word, Jesus Christ, the Creator of heaven and earth, became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did we see? Glory just like Israel saw. What did we see? Grace and truth, wisdom and understanding. All of these things in Jesus as He's with us and sharing His life with us. And then Hebrews 4 puts a little more detail on that. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. What are your weaknesses this morning? You do not have a God who doesn't know how to sympathize with you. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive what? Mercy. Mercy for all your failings. And find grace to help in time of need. You see how this all just comes together from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible? This great web of belonging. God who is near 
who knows our weaknesses, who knows our sufferings, who walks with us through them, to whom we can go, and by whom we find grace to help in time of need. And then Moses goes on, not only is this a great nation that has a God so near to us, he says, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous? And you know, for many years I've been saying that whenever you read the word righteous in the, in the scriptures, what's the other word that you should put in its place? Justice. What other nation is there that has statutes and rules so just as all this law that I set before you today? And what's justice all about? Justice is all about being just. Caring for the poor and the weak and the marginalized. Making sure that everyone has equal opportunity. Making sure that no one gets put on the side because of whatever weakness or disability or other thing that's different he or she may have. That we have eyes for each other. We see each other. We care for each other. That no one is left out in the cold. That's justice. So you see, all of these laws and rules and statutes, all that God is giving us through Moses in Deuteronomy, has this twofold thing of God is near to us, and He's caring for the weak and the marginalized. And then you remember when Jesus came, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He went into Nazareth, and His very first sermon In order to say, this is what I've come to do, he quoted from Isaiah. You may remember from Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what's the year of the Lord's favor? The year of Jubilee. The year in which all debts are forgiven. These connections here. God is near to you, Israel. God is near to us in Jesus. God wants a just society. That's what Jesus came to do. The reality, of course, is that the promise, the liberation that Jesus has promised, we don't always experience. That home is still broken. That loved one is still buried. That chronic illness may never go away. That decision that you made 20 years ago to do something set your life on a course that you may not be able to change. There's not necessarily a promise in here that everything is going to turn out okay. And Moses knows that. 
And God knows that. So he says later in Deuteronomy 4, When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. And later in Deuteronomy, Moses is even more clear that he has no expectation that the people of Israel are going to live in the way that God's called them to live. He has no expectation they're going to do that. Because they're people. Because they're sinners. He knows what their history's been. He knows what their future's going to be like. And it just ain't going to turn out the way that it should. But, we go to the next passage. The very next verse. But, from there, from your exile, and remember, Deuteronomy occurs in two historical places. One is before they go into the land, so he's telling them what the future is going to be like. But the other is where they've had this future. They're coming back from exile. But from there, from that exile, you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Whatever happens in the next 900 years, says Moses, or whatever has happened in the last 900 years, says Moses, do not forget that God will never leave you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget the covenant that he swore to you. The final word of the Bible, the final word of God's revelation to us, and I'm realizing this more and more and more and more and more, is always that God is merciful. That is the final word. It covers everything. The final word is always that he will never leave you. Never. The final word is that he will not destroy you. The final word is that he will not forget 
the covenant, the agreement, the wedding vows that he made with you. I suspect you find that hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Because we have this idea that God's love and presence with us is dependent on some condition. And it is not. You can run away with it. You can make it difficult. You can run away from it, I mean. You can make it difficult. But in the end, the final word of the Bible from beginning to end is that God is always merciful. He will never leave you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget the covenant that he swore with you. And then Moses says this, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other. See what he's saying here? You go back in the past as far as you want. Go all the way back to the creation. Go to that horizon or go to that horizon. Go to that height or go to that depth. And ask yourself whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Has there ever been anything on earth in the whole history of everything that is greater than this? And what is that thing that's greater than everything else? Well, we've already referred to that. That's Jesus himself. The incarnation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus who lived and walked with us and suffered among us. Who turned the wine, the water into wine at the wedding. Who healed the lame, the blind, and the sick. Who wept over Jerusalem. Who healed, as Dan talked about last week, the son of the widow. Who screamed out his sorrow and anger over death at the tomb of Jerusalem, just like I know some of you do who begged his father to take the cup of suffering from him, just as I know that some of you do. But who still went to that place of agony, to that place of crucifixion, and let himself be nailed, and let himself be abused, and let himself be reviled, and let himself be scorned and tortured. And who in the middle of all of that cried out to God to forgive those people because they do not know what they were doing. God's mercy never ends, never fails. It is always the last word. And then he broke the bonds of death. The grave could not hold him. And then he sent his spirit to be with us. Has... Such a great thing as this ever happened? Or has it ever been heard of anywhere else? And of course the answer to this rhetorical question is no. <laughs> so in your pain and in your sorrow and in your confusion 
and in your wanderings and in your guilt and in your lying awake in the depth of the night or in your work of the day to set things right and all of the concerns and worries that you have, all of the regrets, perhaps all of the guilt, Know that there is a God in heaven who is near you in Jesus. And that his last word over your life, over our lives, over our creation, is the word of mercy. That he will never, ever, ever leave you or those whom you love who are making such a mess of their lives.